Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Come Holy Ghost, our souls inspire, enlighten with celestial fire. Good morning, Epiphany. It's Pentecost Sunday, the day we celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit, who is with us now forevermore to guide, to strengthen, to cheer, to conflict, and to grow. Some of you who are super special today are wearing red. You know that red is the color we use to commemorate the flames that sprung up from the original disciples of Jesus as the Holy Spirit fell upon them. The third person of the Trinity, whose great joy it is to point us to Jesus and to remind us of his resurrection, to him we are indebted for the continual work of God in our everyday life. It is good to be with you this Pentecost Sunday. We're continuing our sermon series, The Gospel According to Genesis Today. Stay tuned for a few short announcements at the end of our service. And let's begin our service today with these words of Pentecost joy given to us from the prophet Joel. The Lord will pour out his spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. You shall know that the Lord is in the midst of his people, that he is the Lord, and there is none else. And it shall come to pass that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Good morning. This is Tim Landy, and I will be reading The Confession and Pardon. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This is Marty Rice. I'll be reading Psalm 104, verses 24 to 35. I'll be reading from my 1599 copy of the Geneva Bible. O Lord, how manifold are thy works! In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. So is the sea, great and wide. For therein are things creeping innumerable, both small beasts and great. There go the ships, yea, that Leviathan, whom thou hast made to play therein. All these wait upon thee, that thou mayest give them food in due season. Thou givest it to them, and they gather it. Thou openest thy hand, and they are filled with good things. But if thou hide thy face, they are troubled. 
thou take away their breath, they die, and return to their dust. Again, if thou send forth thy spirit, they are created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. Glory be to the Lord forever. Let the Lord rejoice in his works. He looketh on the earth, and it trembles. He toucheth the mountains, and they smoke. I will sing unto the Lord all my life. I will praise my God while I live. Let my words be acceptable unto him. I will rejoice in the Lord. Let the sinners be consumed out of the earth, and the wicked till there be no more. O my soul, praise thou the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Good morning. This is Ellie Davis, and I will be reading to you from Genesis 7 and 8. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them, entered the ark, they and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all of the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them fifteen cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land, in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark, and the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your son and your son's wives, with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, 
Everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. The word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Last week in our sermon series, The Gospel According to Genesis, we found that God was thinking really hard about hitting the reset button on the whole humanity project. He had created a very good universe populated with very good plants and animals and mountains and stars and oceans, and to top it off, he created humankind in his image to tend and oversee this very good world. But those humans rebelled against God. It was an insurrection of sorts, and through this famous story of a uh, forbidden fruit, they tried to become God's equals. And the fallout from that coup sent spiritual, emotional, and physical shockwaves throughout the whole of the universe. Violence and shame and the pains of childbirth, jealousy, misogyny, sickness, and all the things that make our existence painful and full of suffering, these things spread across the human race and they had been doing it for generations. God's very good creation was now no longer good. It had fallen apart. And so God was contemplating a do-over, you know, wipe the slate clean, be done with this uh, batch of humans and try something different. But God found in this great morass of violence and sin that had defined humanity in this primordial age, God had found one man who wasn't like the others. And his name was Noah. And he had one wife and three sons, and those three sons had three wives. And the text tells us that, you know, Noah wasn't a sinless man by any stretch, but he was a godly man. He sought a relationship with God. He wanted to walk with God. He was a humble man who could apologize for his sins, and he did his best to live a morally upright life. And God gives Noah a heads up about this great um, reset, restart that he's going to put together in the form of a flood. Um, God gives Noah plans for an ark and gives him instructions, get your family and get enough animals so we can um, reset everything in creation. And Noah, you, says God, can be my reset button. You can be what happens after we wipe everything clean because you're, you're a good egg. And you believe me. You're going to believe me when I tell you this story. Um, and so God says, repopulate the earth, make it very good again, Noah. And Noah believed God. He listened to God when God gave him the secret plans for the end of the world as they knew it. And so God built the ark. Excuse me, Noah built the ark as God had instructed. And that's where our reading picks up today. Noah, his family, and the animals are all led into the ark. And the text goes out of its way to say that God shuts the door and seals them in. And then the flood comes. And the waters cover the earth until it's something like 22 feet above the highest mountain peak. There is no land. There is nothing dry. It is just the massive, a massive storm. And as God intended, all the animals die and all the plants die and all the people die, except for the ones that are in the ark. And it makes me wonder why in the world we think Noah's Ark is a story that's appropriate for children to learn about when they're young, right? I mean, yes, cute animals two by two, but the original story is really, really horrifying. 
um, that we worship a God who is powerful enough and willing enough to wipe the slate clean of 99% of humanity. We worship a God who is righteous and angry, a God who is actually quite judgmental, um, to the point where he would wash it all away and start from scratch. Um, Martin Luther, my favorite, and uh, the Protestant reformer, he had this to say about the passage, and I think he hits the nail on the head. In what frame of mind do you suppose we would have been if we had been brought into the ark and had seen the waters rushing in from all sides with such force and the wretched mortals swimming in the water and wretchedly perishing without any help? This disaster they saw with their own eyes. Who would doubt that they were profoundly shocked by it? Furthermore, the ark floats on the water for 150 days, buffeted by waves and gusts from all sides. In these circumstances, no harbor could be hoped for, nor any association with other human beings. As exiles cast out of the world, they are driven hither and thither by the waves and winds. Is it not a miracle that these eight human beings did not die of grief and fear? We are indeed devoid of feeling if we can read this account with dry eyes. And so what we learn from this reading, first off, my friends, is that um, God, this is not the God of fluffy animals and the cutesy walking two by two into the ark. Ours is not the God of sort of limp arms who dilly-dallies over the cruelties and violence of the world. When our God sees what he does not like, when our God sees that things are not good, he is able and he is willing to clear the table and start again. Think back to Genesis 1 when God created the heavens and the earth, right? Recall back to this third day, right? The, the third day of creation is when God pools all the waters together in, in one place, right? So that there can be dry land on the earth. So the flood, you see, it's not just some arbitrary natural disaster that God amplified into a catastrophe because it was convenient and made for a powerful story. The flood is God rolling back creation by four days to start over on a project that has blown up and become completely irredeemable. Um, God is saying, you know what? I've taken seven steps board, forward. Now I'm going to take four steps back. And that is truly a terror. This is an exercise you see in powerlessness at the end of the day. And it's something we are all working through during this coronavirus natural disaster, right? This virus season feels like something where if we can just exert our own power, if we can manage our own health and safety, if we can wash our hands enough and wear our masks the right way, we can secure our health and safety. If we engage in civil disobedience and reopen our businesses and don't let the government get us down, or um, we could, or if we just stay home, then things are going to turn out okay. If we stockpile food, if we plant a victory garden, if we hoard hand sanitizer, then we can secure our safety. Friends, this is really about power and exerting control over the world when we feel that it's out of control. And I think we've all noticed how frazzled and angry our community has become as our Threat-detecting brains are on high alert for any challenge to our physical and financial well-being. Somebody who doesn't wear a mask right now is not just being, you know, um, sort of 
exercising their freedoms. They're a danger to our existence. And somebody who is wearing a mask and trying to take the virus with a, a real sense of caution and serious is a threat to our business being opened. And so everything about this disaster is bringing out the control freak in all of us because we're trying to control something that is, at the end of the day, uncontrollable. I shared this story with our Pizza Night friends a few weeks back, and, and it gets to my point, right? I was at the Giant Eagle in Latrobe picking up a few things earlier this month, and if you've been to that Giant Eagle in Latrobe, you know it's bigger than the one in Ligonier, and the, the aisles aren't quite as defined. And so I was going to grab an item from the bread aisle, and I turned into the bread aisle, and I went into the aisle, and in the aisle was an angry older gentleman who made eye contact with me from behind his mask, and he said to me, what are you, stupid or something? And I said, excuse me? And he said, what are you? Are you stupid? And he pointed to the floor, and where I had turned in the aisle, I was indeed going the wrong way down the aisle. And thankfully, I had the mental wherewithal to acknowledge that he was correct while also letting him know what I thought of his critical and demeaning spirit. And you don't need to know the whole back and forth, but just know that, you know, I went, I left the conversation going back around the aisle and he apologized for, for his insult. But in a world where our own survival is at risk, um, we think that our life and health and safety is within our power. And so it's easy to write off other people as villains, right? They are ignorant, they're stupid, they're reckless, they're dangerous. And we try to use our power to control others. Uh, the man in the grocery store tried to belittle me with an insult. You had protesters earlier this month carrying guns. And you have protesters at the end of the month uh, rioting and looting. And we shame people for not wearing masks, but then we also shame them for wearing masks. We are using what little power we have to try to craft a world that we can control. But when we watch God orchestrate a global flood of catastrophic destruction, as God rolls back his creation by four days, what kind of power do you have against that? Right? Like, you know how some kids in their frustration, you know, how some parents with their kiddos, they get frustrated at their kiddos and they have this funny line, right? They say this, they say, I brought you into this world and I can take you out of it. Well, that's also true of God, and it's not funny because it happened today in our reading. Today's reading truly highlights that humanity, you, me, all of us, are very much living at the mercy of God. God is in control, and God can do what he wants. And if God wants to flood the earth to start over from scratch, he can do that. And so if we're truly living at the mercy of God, um, what kind of good news might anyone find in this global act of human decimation? What kind of gospel is there when we see a God who would bring the floodwaters in and destroy it all uh, for not living up to his expectations? It certainly doesn't seem like good news for you and I that God could erase the majority of human life for their sin sinful living. Is there good news in this story? And the answer is yes. And to get there, I want us to, to check one of our basic, uh, baser Bible reading instincts. You know, it's very tempting to insert ourselves into this story and imagine that our life lessons 
and our application and our spiritual growth come from inserting ourselves into the place of the, the, the main character of the text, uh, the protagonist, as the literary people say. And so it's a default setting for many Christians to, to imagine that they are Noah in our reading. They think, well, I'm going to try to relate to Noah. And we might imagine what it looks like to faithfully uh, respond to God and build an ark. And we might think, well, the application is that we do some crazy things and we do things differently and outsiders make fun of us and that's what it means to be a Christian because we'll ultimately be proved right. We might imagine ourselves as Noah walking with God and communing with him and, and really asking God uh, for, for a, a, a healthy and happy character uh, and to really truly desire a relationship with God. And so we really do think that there's some sort of parallel between our, our relationship with God and our salvation and how God uses those in relationship with him for being saved. Uh, we might, for example, imagine ourselves stalwartly comforting animals with a fearless trust in God as this rudderless and sailless and motorless ark drifts at the pleasure of the wind and the waves. Like, did you catch that? That in the instructions for the ark, there is no uh, rudder. There are no sails. There's no you know outboard motor. Um, we are the protagonist of our own lives. And, and so we come by it honestly we immediately gravitate to the protagonist in this story. But I want to suggest this is the wrong tact. Um, I, I don't think that's the way to do it. Because, uh, first off, Noah is not the main character in this story. The story is told from God's perspective, isn't it? Right? God is the one who warns Noah. God is the one who is grieving this violent world that's happened after the fall. God brings the flood. God shuts the door to the ark. God is in command and God is in control. Noah is just along for the ride in God's story. And moreover, I think imagining ourselves as, as Noah in the story, it gives us power and makes us feel strong. And it gives us a, a chance to exert our own faith as a badge of pride, right? Um, we saved the family. We have the inside knowledge. We're going to build the ark. But again, the Bible as a whole goes out of its way to say that Noah's faith was a response to God's gracious call. So I don't know that Noah is particularly a hero in the story as much as he is someone who is um, sort of uh, working on behalf of the real hero. And so what I think we need to do with this reading is to, um, is to tell ourselves an old joke. And you know this joke, right? It's, it's, it's a great joke. What's the one thing better than owning a boat? Right, do you know the answer? What's the one thing better than owning a boat? And the answer is having a friend who owns a boat, <laughs> right? What's better than owning a boat? Having a friend who owns a boat because you can go out boating with them and you don't have to deal with the money issues that are, you know, you have to scrape barnacles off the, your own boat. So what if in this story you weren't Noah and you weren't God? And you weren't one of the primordial humans left behind to drown. What if you were, say, one of the unnamed wives of Noah's sons? What if you were the unnamed wife of Japheth? What if you caught a ride on Noah's ark just because you happened to be married to Noah's son? You know what's better than building an ark? Having a father-in-law that built an ark. And this is where we find the gospel in Noah's flood. 
the only person on that ark that was considered faithful or righteous or good in any stretch of the imagination was Noah. So seven of the eight human beings who are passengers on the ark, they would not have qualified for a life-saving boat ride had they not been married to or birthed from the right person at the right time. Only 12% of the boat's human occupants had any sort of relationship with God. The other 88% were simply along for the ride. And you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of our faith in Jesus, right? We are saved because, no, not our good works, certainly. We are not saved because of our ethnicity or citizenship or heritage. We are not saved by completing our religious checklists. And we are not saved by proper theological belief. We are saved because we know a guy who owns a boat. Noah is one of the first, if not the first, Old Testament foreshadowing of the saving work of Jesus to come. And in our reading today, in the flood, you know, God rolled back three creation days. He rolled back four creation days to, to day three. That's back when the waters covered the earth. But in Revelation 21, the exact opposite end of the Bible, God has promised a whole new creation, which will start over from the very beginning. A new heavens and a new earth, a new Genesis chapter 1. And he has given us Jesus Christ as the ark, which will carry us over as the old world and all of its suffering and trials and racism and riots and viruses and burning down police stations and, uh, and all of the things you read about in the news. All of that, God promises, will pass away. And there will be a new world with none of it. No more tears, no more crying, no more hunger, no more thirst, no more virus, no more racism, no more riots, no more international trade conflicts, none of it. And the ark to get us there, friends, is Jesus Christ. That's why the Apostle Peter, in the first Peter, the letter, he says that baptism is a reenactment of Noah's flood. When we pour water on the heads of new believers, we're saying that in Jesus, they will survive the coming judgment of this world at the end of time, like Noah and his family survived the original flood. And so friends, this morning I have good news for you. You don't have a boat to survive the flood to come, but you are the church, the great cosmic bride, engaged to Jesus Christ in a marriage that will soon come. In other words, you are just like the unnamed wives of Genesis chapter 7 that survived the flood because they were related to and married into the right family. And because you are the bride to come of Christ, God will seal you in Christ and shut the door when this one passes away, and he will open it up when the new world comes, where all things will be made new, and things will be better than very good. They will be holy and righteous and fulfilled. We have one more week with our man Noah. We're going to look at Noah chapter 9 next week. His story is not over. But God has a promise to keep, and we're, we're going to find out as Noah turns out to be an imperfect savior to say the least. But it is good enough to know that the ark has been built for you in Jesus' death and resurrection. When his creation, when this creation passes away, 
when God's law is written on our hearts and a new heavens and a new earth are gifted to us, there will be a place for you. In the ark of Jesus' death and resurrection, there is room for everyone. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now, as our Savior Christ taught us, we are bold to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Epiphany. It's Beth Gerald here. Uh, Tom turned six months old yesterday. I can't even believe it. Uh, join me now in the prayers of the people. The collect for Pentecost Sunday is, Almighty God, on this day, through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you revealed the way of eternal life to every race and nation. Pour out this gift anew, that by the preaching of the gospel, your salvation may reach to the ends of the earth through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. We remember today those on Epiphany's prayer list. Billy Melick's mother, Rich Wilson's mother, Ligonier Camp and Conference, Pine Springs Camp, Valley Youth Network, Marilyn Couch's daughter, Heather, Marge Moyers, sister Susan, Wendy Lent's son Scott, Beth Gerald's friend Danielle, and those among us who have asked for anonymous, anonymous prayer. We also remember the prayer request shared at Epiphany's check-in groups this week. Almighty God, we entrust all who are dear to us, especially those on our church prayer list, to your never-failing care and love, for this life and the life to come, knowing that you are doing for them better things than we can desire or pray for. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Here is a prayer for mission. Lord Jesus Christ, you have stretched out your arms of love on the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you, for the honor of your name. Amen. Almighty God, you have given us grace at this time with one accord to make our common supplications to you, and you have promised through your well-beloved Son that when two or three are gathered together in, this, in his name, you will grant their requests. Fulfill now, O Lord, our desires and petitions as may be best for us, grant us in this 
world knowledge of your truth and in the age to come life everlasting amen a few announcements for the good of the church before we conclude our service together as i mentioned in previous weeks the question of our gathering during yellow light and now green light worship is still being worked out. When we do announce our intention to gather together for Sunday services in person once again, it will not be in this format on the podcast. You'll receive something via, via phone or email, so stay tuned this week. We're hoping to make sure everyone is in the loop when we are ready to start meeting back again. But I'll tell you what, there is something tangible that you can do that you can do to help out as we prepare to return for uh, in-person worship. Um, if you're out doing your you know, normal grocery shopping, got your masks on, wiping your buggy down, Epiphany will still need a few extra things to ensure that our reopening environment is safe. And so if you see any hand sanitizer, packs of disposable masks, or disinfectant sprays or wipes, if you see any of those things and they're reasonably priced and you have the means, would you consider purchasing something like that for the church? Again, no need to hoard, no need to pay outrageous prices here, but as we prepare to meet, it will make our work in the future significantly easier to have a small collection of these items on hand. And so while you're out shopping, if you come across any hand sanitizer or packs of disposable masks or disinfectant wipes or sprays, um, consider picking that up and donating any of those items to the church. This is going to be a big week for yours truly. Um, and so uh, as we're preparing and getting ready to enter into our green light mode of worship, I'm going to press pause on our Zoom check-ins this week so I can focus on getting the final logistics in place for what it means to come back together again. I don't have a time for you, I know. I'm talking about it a lot, you know, so keep your expectations, you know, in check. But um, I do want to give a huge thank you to everyone who participated in those check-in groups. It meant a lot to me that you were there, and um, it was a joy to reconnect with many of you during our midweek and to pray together, and I hope that we will soon be able to check in in person. So stay tuned, my brothers and sisters. It is my hope to see you very soon. And now may the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you now and remain with you always. Amen. Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania.